years ago now, uh, so long ago, I think it's two cars ago, when our children were really young, we went to go strawberry picking north of Milton Keynes, where we were living. As we turned into the drive of the farm, there was a terrible crunch and then a horrible dragging banging sound as we drove along the lane and finally came to rest in the car park. We'd had a blowout. The rims of the wheel were actually on the ground. Having never done it before I got out the kit to change the tyre, I jacked up the car and then I tried to loosen the locking wheel nuts so that I could actually get the tyre off the car. But though I was younger, fitter and stronger than I am now, I just could not make it move. The wrench wasn't much more than a foot long, I just could not make any of them move. Could not make them move despite some rather unparliamentary language, sweating buckets, blistering hands and risking a hernia for about 30 minutes straight. I wasn't sure we had breakdown cover and I knew we didn't have a lot of money in the bank. I felt deflated and defeated and worried. I may even have kicked the tyre, which may or may not have helped the very situation very much at all, though it led to even more unparliamentary language. As I stood irresolute, not knowing what to do, a sweet tiny old lady came over and asked whether she could give me a hand. I bit my tongue, somehow mustered the politeness to say something like, well, of course, but, but how exactly? And then she brought over from her boot a metre-long steel tube. A mechanic friend had given it to her. It fitted over the wrench, making it at least three to four times as long. That meant I had much more torque when I tried to get the seized wheel nuts to move. And they moved. Not easily, but they moved. That tube multiplied my effort many times. That tube made my strength enough for a task that had defeated me. I was still sweaty, sore, blistered, but I could now do what needed to be done. Paul talks in verse 4 about troubles. The idea of how God is present in our troubles is one of the key ideas of 2 Corinthians, and that's why I'm hoping to be teaching through it in coming days and weeks. The word troubles comes from a verb that means to press upon, to crowd. It has a sense of feeling pressured, weighed down by the situation around us, weighed down by the feelings within us. I suspect that's probably how many of us are feeling right now. Honestly, maybe nearly all of us. Pressured and weighed down around and within. We feel the pressure of having to adapt to so many changes so quickly, they just come one after another. Whether it's in our work lives, I had never heard of Zoom networking calls before this week and I have seemed to have done little else since Wednesday. Whether it's in our home lives where we're having suddenly uh, to zone our homes as much as we can to try and separate out work from life, from leisure, from school whether it's in our leisure lives where everyone we used to see is either socially distancing or self-isolating or should be, and everywhere we used to go is now closed or closing. Whether it's in our digital lives where everyone has so much advice for everyone else that competitive parenting has gone to a whole new depth and anxiety leaps from phone to phone, heart to heart, intensifying as it goes. Whether it's in our spiritual lives 
where we may be asking much bigger questions than normal and just don't feel that normal routines are enough. Very many of us, maybe nearly all of us, feel under pressure, weighed down and pushed down from all directions. And the fear of the unknown, the fear of disease, the fear of loss weighs upon us all as well. This word troubles sums up, I think, what many of us are feeling right here, right now. Like that day when I was hot, sweaty, angry and with blistered hands, kicking a tyre I couldn't change and hurting my foot in the process, it's tempting to feel so pressured that we can feel deflated and defeated, deflated and defeated overwhelmed by all that we've got to react to and process, overwhelmed by the never-ending ripples and waves that seem to come one after another, day after day, overwhelmed by how they pass by and leave our lives either slightly or very different yet again. Just as that sweet old lady did, we need something to help us manage, something that will multiply the effect of what we're able to do. There's never going to be a wrench big enough to fix the situation we face. It's not something we need, it's someone. None other, Paul insists, than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. None other, Paul insists, than the one who had sustained him in all his troubles, his pressures, his afflictions, his stresses, his persecutions. He is the only one, Paul tells us, who can make us enough for this hour. So how can we become enough for such a time as this? How can we be inspired to rise to such a challenge as we face today? Well, first, remember God longs to strengthen us. God longs to strengthen us. Verses three and four. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Imagine, if you will, a water feature or a champagne fountain where the top bowl or glass is so full that it simply overflows in all directions to those beneath it. I think that's a helpful image here. We, we receive comfort from God and then it overflows in all directions to those around us and therefore from, from those around us to those around them. That's our compassionate Father's intention. We should comfort others as comforted people, not for comfort others as those for whom comfort or peace is a memory that's fading fast. We should comfort others as comforted people, not giving a dwindling supply away to the point where we've nothing left, where the well has just run dry. Life is unbelievably demanding at the moment. It's hard to be still and quiet enough in heart and mind to ask God for his presence and his strength and to listen to what's on his heart. But it is a prayer he longs to answer and one which we should be determined to pray for ourselves, pray for strength and for those around us. Ask and keep on asking for his strength. We need it for ourselves. And sometimes it's enough just to ask for strength for us, but we also need to receive it so that we can share it with those around us, like that water feature, like that champagne fountain. We cannot give away 
what we haven't received, or at least not for long. And if we try, that's the point at which the candle eventually is just the wick burning. So let's ask for God's strength. Remember that he loves to give it. Let's comfort others as comforted people. Second, remember the Spirit works this in us. Verse 6 talks about the comfort we're given producing in us patient endurance. This isn't about us just being quiet, isn't about us just resting well. This is about allowing God to create something in us, allowing and encouraging God to produce something in us, allowing God to gift something to us. The word is used in 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 10, the, the word produces, of miraculous gifts of breakthrough and transformation. It's a word that really means working, it's operations, it's his mighty strength at work. The Father wants to work this in us, work this strength, comfort, encouragement, consolation, wants to work this in us. So that's what we're reaching out for, not just a bit more stillness, but a lot more encouragement, a lot more courage to live for God in such a time as this, a, the courage to live as comforted people in a time of fear. It's not a time for life or church as normal. At a time like this, we just flat out know we need God's strength to produce in us endurance for such a time as this, to be comforted people in a time of fear. So let's ask the Spirit to work this in us. Comfort, which also means encouragement and consolation. We need to be overflowing with comfort. We need it, we just do. But those around us need us to be that top bowl or the top glass on the fountain. For when we overflow, God's comfort and encouragement overflow onto others and it can then cascade down. Are we willing to be so filled that we continually overflow into the lives of those around us? And third, remember our hope. Remember our hope. We're under a deep shadow at the moment. Deep shadow. We are living in fear, many of us. But what's happening now does not change the reality of the cross. What's happening now does not change the reality of the resurrection, even if it may well mean we can't gather on Easter Day. What's happening now does not change the Spirit's presence with us right here and right now. Hear me, please. What's happening now is terrible. Being scared and anxious is an utterly reasonable response, but none of it, and I mean none of it, changes the reality of our hope in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. So brothers and sisters, there will be a time when we look back and remember this time, remember how hard it was, how challenging the days and weeks and months were, how sad some of the times were, how bitter maybe some of the losses were. But we will look back as people of faith. We will look back as people whose hope in Jesus sustained them. We will look back remembering how God was present. We will look back remembering how we grew in our faith in these hard times. Remember when we look back how the Spirit comforted and encouraged and consoled us. 
So let's live now, even in this time of fear. Let's live now as comforted people, as people of hope. Hope that the Spirit will meet us and encourage us, even in such times as these. And hope that the resurrection and the living presence of the Father of compassion remain the sole final reality of all things. There will be a time when we will look back and remember how hard it was, but remember how God was with us in it and that he showed us that how many promises he has made, he has kept them all in Jesus. Thanks for listening.